Are you bored with those video games? Has you finally caught up on all your Netflix shows? Are you tired of Snapchatting with your friends over and over again while you stare at the same four walls? You're no longer in the state of Illinois alone, but now you've entered into the state of insanity. You're about to climb the walls. You might be thinking about jumping up and seeing if you can peel the paint off the ceiling before you go do something crazy. Stay tuned because I have a 25 to 30 minute diversion because you've just tuned in to HistoryCast. This is your host, your whispering wizard, your tour guide through time, Mr. J. Hughes. Travel with me through the sea of time. Let's look for answers, explore salacious rumors, juicy legends, and powerful secrets. Let's get down to the bottom of what it really means to be human. Welcome. Welcome back. So the optimism in Europe is running at an all-time high, and we've entered the age of revolution. But it isn't going to stay that way, because we're also in the age of the guillotine. Without the television, there wasn't a lot to do to find for entertainment in the 18th century. During the worst part of the French Revolution, the guillotine became a favorite pastime. Children would even sometimes either build their own, where they decapitated dolls and rats and other uh, small objects, or you could buy one. In fact, it was a very popular thing in France for a little while to buy your kid a guillotine. The kid version was about two foot tall, and it had a sharp blade on it. I mean, obviously, the best thing to do is let kids play with sharp blades and knives and scissors and things like that. You know, always, always a good idea. And to aspire to be a person who worked the guillotine was something of a job prospect. That was a thing, okay? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to work the guillotine. The operators were kind of celebrities during this part, during the worst part of the French Revolution. It was a frightful way to go, though. And debate would always be endless about what happens when you get decapitated. Like, how long do you stay conscious? This whole gruesome business will reach new heights during the period of French history known as the Reign of Terror. In 1790, the optimism in France is running high. The Declaration of the Rights of Man has set France on fire with hope. Now, finally, it's happened. France has its rights recognized by the government. And a constitution is underway and uh, being put into place by our boy, Lafayette. It's adopted in 1791. If you're looking at the screen, uh, with the, the slides that I've sent you, those of you that are my students, you will see the tricolored cockade sitting on the side. This was worn by French people on their hats, their clothes. This was a, a sign of the revolution, and it was a sign that good times had come. But the Constitution of 1791, alas, will not be underway for terribly long. Between the years of 1791 and 1814, there's actually going to be seven different constitutions in France. But for now, France is elated by these new changes, this new possibility that's opening up to the people. And all around the countryside, people are planting liberty trees. French people are wearing those tricolored cockades on their hats. And the hope was that class struggle was finally over. It had been in France since, really, since Philip the Fair. But you could make the argument that even before, this had been a, a construct. Even children were playing board games that were all based off the revolution. One of those games is a game that you might know very well. We call it Chutes and Ladders. But the French called it Snakes and Ladders, which was actually the original game. 
It was uh, where people worked their way to the new constitution by landing on squares that had ladders. Those squares would be labeled with things like emancipation of Jews and Protestants. So if you landed on something like that, the ladder went up. You would have to avoid, however, landing on snakes because snakes were things such as parliament and they set you back. In a weird way, the whole French Revolution is kind of like a game of snakes and ladders. So this is really fascinating. When I, when I was reading this, and this actually came from a book uh, by Peter McPhee on the French Revolution, so I'm not making this stuff up, okay? This this come from research. Really fascinating. I got really curious about this, and on your, on your document, you should be able to see that the picture that I have put up there is actually what the board would have looked like for the Snakes and Ladders game. Uh, and I can't tell you exactly how it works because I can't, it, this was the best image that I could get. But it gives you just a little bit of a picture. I'm assuming the down at the bottom where you see words written gives you and tells you whether you go back or whether you don't. Now, the original Snakes and Ladders game, which I found was really fascinating, actually came from India. Now, see, I did not know this. Now, I'm really elated since I teach world religions. This is fascinating. So the original game is actually a Hindu game, and it teaches the concepts of karma. So if you, uh, if you do good things, you ascend. And those good things, when you land on the squares, the ladders have virtues on them. Where if you land on a snake, a snake has a vice and it sends you backwards. So this was an idea to teach the Hindu concept of, of karma. A very fascinating idea. And the British came in and picked up this game, kind of altered it a little bit to get rid of, you know, the religious tones and elements, but brought, brought it into England. And of course, it moves into France and the French turn it into a, a game to celebrate the revolution. Interesting, interesting, fascinating side bit of history. That's not a mad history headline, but it kind of should be. Okay, so 1791. What is going on in 1791? Well, uh, Lafayette has led the charge for the new constitution. And what he's done, and what they've done, is they've decided to keep the king in power. The king can still do whatever he wants to do in terms of, of um, you know, in terms of what most monarchs in Europe are hopefully going to be limited to. This is what the, the plan is that, hey, this is working in England. Let's move this to France. But there is some limits to the things that he can do. He can't just act unilaterally like he could before. He has to go through the legislature. The legislature is one body, a unicameral uh, legislature. Unicameral means one body. And they're chosen by the voters to represent them as lawmakers. There were rights and privileges granted to the people that were given through the Declaration. But it has drawbacks. Because only active citizens can participate. If you pay taxes equivalent to the value of three days paid labor, then you could vote for an elector. It's kind of a convoluted process. The elector um, chooses deputies, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. To be an elector, you had to be able to pay at least 10 days worth of taxes, and to be a deputy, you had to be able to pay 54. So interestingly enough, what that means is that the wealthy are going to kind of end, back, end up in power, um, which is something that the French Revolution is trying to ameliorate, is to get rid of all these heavy class distinctions. So you can kind of see how this turns in such a way that's, that's kind of negative. Now, in addition, the National Assembly decides to curb the power of the church. This was another decision they made. They said, we'll take the lands the church had, because there's 10% of the lands, we'll sell those lands off, and that money will pay down some of the debt, and we'll hopefully put France into good financial position. So the Pope finds out about this, and you can imagine not happy. Pope Pius is very unhappy about this situation. He actually attempts to stop it. And he tells his clergymen, you don't have to obey this, this rule. You don't have to follow the, the regulations of the revolution. Louis doesn't agree. 
I don't agree. Let's nix, let's nix this. But that's not how things actually turn out. So the National Assembly require that all clergy will take an oath of, of allegiance to what's called the civil constitution of the clergy. Now, only half, half the priests took it, but still half the priests did take it. And this allows the priest to be elected by the people and to be salaried, which means the priest can't make themselves independently wealthy off of the tithes of the people. And it also makes sure that those who are maybe in the poorer class of priest might have an opportunity to rise or to get into a congregation where they get paid a little more than the, than the you know, pittance they were being paid to work in the very small parishes. But the church starts to take on a new, a new, a new problem. It becomes kind of the face of the anti-revolution, and you start to see a lot of things in the in the church in France in this period begin to disintegrate. And in many ways, this is the beginning of the movement of the French people away from religion. And I would say today that despite the fact that there are many churches in France, that France is not. It's very, very secular as compared to say America or something like that. There's been a, a great movement, a departure away from you know, religious ideas. And I think here in the revolution is where that departure really began for the French people. So by, uh, by, by 1791, Lafayette and the newly empowered middle class are confident. They're confident they put something in place that's positive, and they're confident that they still believe that uh, things will settle down. But uh, Louis uh, is reticent, and they keep thinking, you know, after this settles in and Louis gets used to the changes, I think he's going to be okay with it. But with the death of feudal dues, uh, the French have now found clever ways to avoid taxes altogether. And the government ends up back in the same financial peril it was already in. So they made money off of selling of French lands, that's true. Um, the moderates were known as Giridanists. And there is another wing... Um, there's another wing that were called the Jacobins. Okay, now the Giridanists were kind of moderates. They wanted the Constitution. They don't want to go too far. They want to take it in easy steps. The Jacobins are revolutionary. Their, 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 their revolutionary thinker is Maximilian Robespierre. And at, the, at this moment, things are holding steady. And the king has to remain strong in order for this to work. He has to show his commitment to the new Constitution. And Lafayette is confident that this will happen. But Lafayette has misread the mood of France. Because Lafayette and his moderates had placed their trust in King Louis. But Louis wants out of France because his pride is insulted. And he is guilty. He is guilty over the constitution of the clergy. He feels bad because the Pope has made him feel bad about it. So in the evening of June the twenty first, June the twentieth, seventeen ninety one, he and his family sneak off in a carriage bound for Luxembourg, where he will be safe. Louis is a runaway. But Louis is not very successful. Um, on the 21st, he's spotted by a postman who recognizes his face. Soon the crowd starts to gather around and they realize that he's trying to get out of France. Soon a crowd together, they become very menacing. And he's captured and he is brought back on June the 22nd. He makes his entry back into France. And the people come out in every town along the way to watch his humiliating ride back to, back to Paris. French people are now very hurt by Louis. No one applauded or cheered. Um, he was faced with a sea of silent faces and broken hearts as the king they trusted in betrayed them because many people still love the king. This hurt is going to grow into anger and then it's going to grow into disgust. 
the radicals, the Jacobins, are going to turn this hatred and anger and divide the revolution and crush the optimism taking place in France. People said, people said all kinds of things about Louis. There's things like we couldn't even put down here. Uh, some of the French said he's an imbecile. Others thought that the king has betrayed us. Uh, nobles were calling even nobles were calling Louis as the pig is the pig king. He's referred to. There was one writer who wrote, "Our monarch, dumber than a dog. If you notice him, he's like a king's fart." Okay, so these were the kinds of things people said about Louis uh, during during his reign because they were so disgusted with how he reacted to this. Now he's lost the trust and he's lost the confidence of the French people. But Louis had yet another ace up his sleeve. So a fleeing didn't work. But the other royal families in Europe are not terribly happy about the precedent, the precedent that's being set by a revolution. I mean, for example, if a revolution like this can happen in France and bring the king under the control of the people, couldn't that revolution also happen in Austria? Couldn't that revolution happen in other places throughout Europe? Like, to keep that from spreading... Uh, they, uh, the Austria and Prussia lead the charge to invite other monarchs to join them. They're going to put, they're going to put the, the Bourbons, they're going to keep them, put them back on the throne and give them the power they deserve. We're going to make sure the Bourbons stay on the throne. So the assembly, uh, they, they form this little, this little group of them, and this is going to go on for a long time, okay? This will go on well into 1815. They're going to form uh, little confederations to try to, to bring an end to the French Revolution and to restore the Bourbons back onto the throne. And so the assembly declares war on Austria in 1792 because the Austrians have already been uh, making, making moves. And uh, economic problems you know, surge um, in addition to defeat. Okay, So they, they, have, they, have this, they, they get kind of whooped up by the Austrians at first. Uh, the king's palace has now been destroyed, and the king is placed under arrest. They want a national convention again because they feel the constitution just wasn't right. And so the radicals are saying, look, this happened, because, and we need to go a little farther than this. We need to get beyond just having the rich enfranchised. Everybody needs to be enfranchised. They want all male voters to have that right. Furthermore, France's colonies around the world start to fall in disarray. Slaves start to rise up and fight their masters for freedom. The poor and the downtrodden are now taking over the revolution. And in September, this, new, this national convention is in, is in charge and the new constitution is underway because the last one just simply didn't work. At first, the French are elated because in the new constitution, more people are going to be included. And revolutionary fervor runs high. People start to really throw off the, the bounds of religion. They start to shed even their Christian names. People start na renaming themselves or naming their children names like La Loi, which means the law, or Racine de Liberté, which means reason of liberty. They start giving themselves these names that have to do with liberty, reason, freedom. I mean, you name it. They're, they're crazy names they come up with. And the new assembly decides it's time to de-Christianize France under a, the real fraternity of nationality. Okay, And um, they made the new calendar. And the new calendar got rid of all feasts and church holidays. The months were even renamed, and all the streets with the word saint in it, those, the, the word saint was dropped from their names. Uh, priests were to marry or to leave France. And even Notre Dame was christened as the new cathedral of reason. Okay? So France was now, at this point in time, they've thrown off the bonds of the king, and they are now a republic with the monarchy fully abolished. Now, what are they going to do with the monarch? Because the fact is, as long as the monarch is there, 
the monarch is going to be somewhat of a problem. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But when this happens, uh, the Prus Prussia and Austria are making grounds on the French. In a state of fear, the Paris Commune, which was the local Parisian government, was overthrown by Jacobin radicals. The radicals have now completely taken over, and these guys, they don't, they're not, they don't mind. They'll, they won't stop for anything. They're convinced that if the Austrians took the city, it would be disaster. They say the prison's full of people who love the king and who are loyal to the king. And so they started arresting people in an atmosphere of fear, anyone who was suspected of being a royalist. They recommended a purge, which is kind of what they did. This just didn't happen in Paris. This happened in other communes around France. Uh, priests were run out of the city. Panic led to prisons being stormed, prisoners being killed. Uh, this had ripples that stretched outside of Paris. Lafayette is ordered to be arrested, and he escapes fleeing to Austria. The Americans want to avoid involvement in this war, but they try to, but they try to free him. In the end, uh, they couldn't. Okay, so Lafayette unfortunately gets arrested. The Americans want him back, but they can't. They can't get to him, so they do send him money. In fact, they would never be able to free him, the Americans, because the Austrians had him. Uh, but there was a person who does free him. Ironically, it's Napoleon. So by 1793, there's a new constitution. The monarchy's gone, and all adult males are allowed to vote whether they owned property or not. The king's system of weights and balances is considered antiquated, and it's replaced with the most enduring accomplishment of the French Revolution, the metric system. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the metric system was born out of the French Revolution. The French calendar is officially adopted beginning year one in the year of 1792. This will be fact until Napoleon restores the Gregor Gre Gregorian calendar a little bit later on. And now the government is headed not by a Jedi, ladies and gentlemen, but by an enemy of the empire. His name is Robespierre, and he creates the Committee of Public Safety. The Committee of Public Safety wants to make sure the Republic's enemies are purged out. They want to start with the internal enemies. And that begins, of course, with France's most, uh, most, most important enemy, the king. On January 21st, 1793, they decided that with the king around, there was, there was always a chance that a coup could emerge that put him back in power. He was taken to the guillotine. Nine months later, the same fate, uh, the same fate awaits his wife, Marie Antoinette. Domestic turmoil, accusations, fear, recriminations are everywhere. It was very, very easy to be accused of being a royalist, a spy, or a sympathetic heart to Austria. And that's the thing. Once they started this process, everybody was considered to be possibly a spy. And this, this creates pandemonium that's going to lead to widespread massacre. It was a terrible time to be, uh, to be alive in Paris, and not just in Paris, but really throughout the totality of France. It's kind of a nightmare. French patriotic sentiments are running high, and anybody who shows any reticence is going to get it. And that includes people who have been a part of nobility. The French are going to definitely take revenge on the nobility. So these accusations are going to lead to a lot of deaths. And now, Austria, Prussia, Spain, Portugal, Britain, Russia, uh, and the Dutch are all allied against the French. So Robespierre is struggling to withhold this while at the same time committing something of a purge. His government orders about 16,000 deaths.
Now, Robespierre, you might be wondering exactly who he is because I've mentioned him, but I haven't really talked about him. Well, he was nicknamed the Incorruptible, and it's not hard to imagine that because as a revolutionary, he's somebody who's uncompromising. Robespierre believes he's doing the right thing, and he's spent his life pursuing that. Now, before the revolution, he was a lawyer, and he was known as the poor man's lawyer because he always defended the, the weak and the downtrodden. Uh, historians kind of argue and, and, tell, and tell us that some historians say that Robespierre kind of destroyed the French Revolution. Other people say that the French Revolution, uh, that he, he was destroyed by the revolution. I'm not really sure which is true. And to be honest with you, I don't have enough really background or say to be able to comment on that. But I think it's an interesting point to think about. He was never really head of the state, like in any official way. He was kind of an unofficial dictator. And aside from the guillotining of, of public enemies, Robespierre was mostly against the death penalty. He's kind of a mystery. He disagrees with the death penalty, and yet he orders and stands by while you know thousands of people go to their death. And he was merciless in his prosecution of anyone who opposed the Republic. It's possible that he, is, he and his colleagues were responsible for as many as 30,000 deaths. 16 for sure, 30 seems likely. Most of those deaths would have been by the guillotine. He believed that it was important to purify the political body of France because he knew the, the revolution could easily be overturned. And he especially gets afraid because all the powers of Europe are ganging up on France to stop it. And so the French are really kind of in, in this moment of crisis. Now, as the French continue to fight against Prussia, particularly in, in, in Austria, they do start to win some battles. They're not serious wins in the way... Um, like they defeated crushing blows like what will happen next when Napoleon comes into power. But they are definitely good, you know, decent wins that begin to kind of ease some of the tensions. And the people of Paris get tired of the terror. They get tired of the purges. They get tired of having a government that's always looking to put them down. So they start to get sickened by the bloodshed and the man who had denounced so many others, including many of his friends was now condemned by an anti-Jacobin faction. On July 28, 1794, in a completely ironic scenario, Robespierre is taken to the guillotine and he's executed. And this brings the reign of France's terror to an end. Now begins what is known as the Thermidorian Reaction. Now, this was named after the months of Thermidor, which is one of the months in the French calendar. Also, Brumaire, we'll talk about that when, uh, next time. But France started to cool towards revolutionary extremes. Okay? By 1795, Jacobin clubs were shut down. The radicals are now kind of being frowned upon by the people. And on top of that, uh, churches are, are reopened for worship. There are not as many priests but there are there are many there are enough still left that people are are ready to go back to church and the economy begins to be more deregulated because the economy had come under some pretty serious uh, pretty serious control now the third constitution is made this this is makes where only again landowners are eligible to vote so it goes back to the things that were proposed in the very first one in 1791 but this time they do they do they do something that seems to be, at least on its face, a better move than, than the first one. They create a bicameral legislator. Uh, they're hoping that this won't be for, uh, you know, another runaway mess like what happened last time, where the one legislator 
bunch of people got in power and took the country off into this direction. If we create two, that might provide some more checks and balances. They were called the Council of Elders or the Council of Five and the Council of Five Hundred. Now, over them were actually five. The best way to describe them would be almost like five little presidents. They were called directors, and they were selected from among the Council of Five Hundred to act as the executive power. And this is where our story takes a very different and interesting turn because the directors um, should have came in and really took control and brought France into order, but they're weak. And um, they are start to see their power eroded because there's this new military leader who is taking the field by storm. Okay, so that's where we're going to stop there. Now, a couple of things. Um, I want you guys, I want you to go on to, those of you that are my students, go to your hyperdoc. Um, there's going to be a little write-up there, and I want you to analyze the song that I've given and, and the lyrics. You can see them if you need to see them. I want you to analyze what, tell me what you think this is about. And then, of course, there's a story I'll have you read on the death of Louis and also an assignment that I want you to work on. So there's a lot to do there. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I will talk to you guys on the next episode.